Good morning, community of faith. How are we doing this morning? <laughs> Somebody's doing good, right? You know, one of the things that I know is that we're all in the same place. That's one of the things at Community of Faith. It's like, don't put anybody up on a pedestal. We're all dealing with the same stuff. And some of what I'm dealing with this week, I think some of you might be dealing with too. And that is uh, just, there's some things going on in my life right now, some situations that I just can't figure out what God is doing at all. Like, what are you doing? I, I don't understand what you're doing. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's not how I would do this at all. You know, have you felt that? Have you been there? Well, one of the things I want us to do as a big family together, that's what we are, big dysfunctional family. Uh, we love each other. We pray for each other. And so we're going to do that this morning. So let me just ask you to have some courage. If you're here and you just are experiencing that situation in your life like I am, and you just want to say, there's something going on. Maybe you even feel mad at God. Maybe you feel uh, f just frustrated with God or, or maybe just frustrated at the, the situation. I'm going to ask you if you would stand right now so that we can pray for you. Would you just stand up and let us know what's going on in your life? Thank you for being honest. I appreciate that. All right. Now I want you, the rest of our family, to look around, see who's near you. Okay, you see someone close to you. There's some all the way in the back at the top. So somebody, be sure you get these folks at the top, okay? I want you to go and put your hand on their shoulder and I want you to just pray silently over them as I pray out loud, okay? Some of you up in the, you're gonna have to go up to the top. I wanna make sure everybody's covered. Anybody that's not covered yet, raise your hand. I want to get you, okay? Gotcha. Father, I just thank you that we can be honest before you this morning. And God, you are so good, we know that. But you are so completely other. You're not us. Your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Your ways, we can't even comprehend. And, and, and the way that you view time sometimes really frustrates us and even can make us angry because we're just so limited in time ourselves. And God, we just want to tell you right now that we're going to choose to trust your heart in this situation. We're going to choose to believe that you're good and we're going to choose to believe that you're working. And I say, come kingdom of God upon each and every one of these situations that we're praying for, that we're agreeing together for as a family. Be done will of God in those situations. Let nothing stop the miracle that you want to do in the midst of all of that. And we will thank you and we will praise you and we will just be confirmed knowing that you are God. Even more than that, I ask that you would bring a peace deep inside of each and every one of us that's struggling with this this morning, that we would know that we can trust you, that there would be this faith that wells up within us that knows that there is a bedrock there. And even in the midst of this thing that seems so inexplicable that you are there. And because you're there, we're gonna be okay. So we claim this right now in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you, church family. I appreciate that. You know, high in the Rocky Mountains, there's the Continental Divide, and up in that highest tipping point up there, there's a little stream that flows, and it breaks off and it branches off, and one side goes to the west, one side goes to the east, and it seems like such a small little branch, but you take a drop of water that goes off to the west, and it goes down into the Colorado River, eventually into the Gulf of California and to the Pacific Ocean, the one that goes to the east. It goes into the Missouri River, eventually the Mississippi, down into the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean. That little divide, two different destinations completely, about as far apart as you can imagine. That's true of a lot of the decisions that we make in our lives. In fact, I want you to pull out your sermon notes because I wanna talk to you about decisions. There's some watershed decisions that we make. They call that the watershed where one side goes one way and one side goes the other way and two different, completely different destinations. I want you to write this down. Your destiny is determined at certain watershed choice points. Your destiny is determined at certain watershed choice points. These small decisions, they have momentous consequences. I want us to look this morning at the story of Lot's choice and and see what that lesson teaches us, some crucial principles about how to make choices. Let me just read you uh, from the book of Genesis Chapter 13, I'll read verses 6 through 18. It's quite a few verses, but I want you to get the the picture, the story. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Abraham and Lot have left their home and they've gone to what God told Abram. I want you to go to the promised land. Now, his name is Abram in this. Hasn't been changed to Abraham yet. God did that later. So let's look at what's happening. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock. In silver and in gold, he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain Together, And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's lot or Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. 
Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So the herdsmen of Lot and Abram, they're quarreling because... Lot is so rich and Abram so rich that the land can't sustain both of them. Now, Abram is Lot's uncle. Both of them together were in their homeland and God called Abram. He said, I want you to leave and go to this place that I am promising you, a land that I've promised you and your descendants. That's why it's called the promised land. And Lot said, I want to go too. I want to go with you. So he went along and Even though he hadn't heard from God personally, he knew that Abram had, so he went with him. Now, it's interesting. Abram gives Lot the choice of what land he wants because they've got to separate. And Lot looks out and sees the lush Jordan Valley and he says, I want that. And he goes out there. And that choice is the beginning of Lot's gradual decline spiritually. He looked toward Sodom And then uh, it's the cities on the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he moved closer, got to the outskirts, got him a little townhouse or something, moved out of his tent. But the last we see of Lot in the Bible, he's moved all the way into the center of town, like in a mansion. He's one of the leaders of the city, one of the officials of the city of Sodom. And then God's judgment is ready to fall and he rescues Lot, but Lot loses everything. He loses his wife. He loses all his possessions. He's got his two daughters and they barely escape. And he goes off the pages of the Bible in a really disgraceful way as he's hiding in a cave. His two daughters commit incest with him because they think they're not going to be around any other people and and they want to have children. This becomes uh, two of the enemies of Israel, the, the come out of this, the births of these two daughters. And, and, and that's the last we see of Lot. He just ends in disgrace. But it all begins with one little choice. I want you to write this down again. These watershed choice points are the hinges upon which your life's story hangs. They're the hinges on on which your life story is hung. I want you to to see that, that that there's some moments. So since these few key choices have eternally significant consequences, and we're not always aware what is a watershed choice and what isn't. Lot could have never said, hey, this one choice is going to change the direction of my whole life. How do we make good choices consistently? Because you see, a life that matters is simply a result of lining up these choice points with God's 
principles. A life that matters is lined up with God's principles. And so our choices are lined up. The little choices, the big choices. See, Jesus said it's possible to gain the whole world and still lose your soul. And that's Jesus talking. I think there are four basic principles that we can see in this passage. Abram did them. He followed them. And his life went in a totally different trajectory than than Lot's life. So let's look at the principles for choosing a life that matters. Number one, choose relationships over rights. Choose relationships over rights. Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Abram had the right to choose first. In fact, he was the head of the clan. He was uh, the, the older man. He was the uncle. He was the one in charge of all of it. And he could have said, I choose this and Lot, you take that. We can't be together. We're too, too, got too many herds and, 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 and we've got not enough grass here. So I'm going to tell you, you go off to that scraggly piece over there and I'm going to take this. And he had every right to do that. But he said, Lot, What matters to me is we are brothers. We're not just uncle and nephew. It's like God has put our hearts together. You came with me in this journey. We're brothers. And he valued his relationship with Lot over his right to choose. I think a lot of strife could be avoided in our families and in our world if we would put a premium on relationships and set aside our rights. And trust the Lord, like Abram did, to to take care of us. The next time you're about to quarrel with somebody, I want you to stop for a minute and think, is this about my rights? And I want you to decide whether you want to fight for that and destroy a relationship or the relationship is more important. I'm not talking about being a doormat. I'm not talking about letting people run all over you. That's based on fear. And you see people like that, but that's out of fear. Like, I hope you're you're not going to like me or I hate conflict or any of these kind of things. I'm talking about giving up your rights for a relationship based on faith that God is going to watch out for you. And parents, let me just tell you that relationship is so important. In fact, you know, children, they need that, those boundaries. They need that discipline. They need that safe wall around them as they're growing up and then you kind of let it out and let it out and let it out as they start to gain freedom. But there's gonna come a time when they're teenagers when they're trying to differentiate themselves from you. That's, that's normal development. And in those times, a lot of times they really begin to you know, make some you know, decisions that, that don't necessarily please you. And it's okay to let them know that, but I want you to keep the relationship. Keep the relationship. It's so important. The relationship is even more important than the rules because the relationship will keep bringing them back to you and bringing them back to you. And right now, as they're teenagers, you might seem to be the dumbest person on the planet, but it's amazing how smart you get when they have kids. I mean, I don't know what happens, but your IQ just rises. They begin to see, oh, okay, okay. And you know what? About that time they figure out you never knew what you were doing either. You were just faking it all along, right? And, and, and 
it just changes everything that you were doing the best that you could. But you have this relationship, okay? The general principle for all of this is, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Relationship over rights. Number two, choose an abundance mindset over a scarcity mindset. Choose abundance over scarcity. In verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes. He chose the land which looked the best to him. He took off for the good life and left Abram literally in the dust because Canaan had just had a famine. So the, the, the land was kind of scraggly, dusty. They're just coming out of famine, a severe famine. Verse 11 says, Lot chose for himself. And I think that's a descriptive term. I think he looked up and Abram gave him the choice and Lot said, oh, I got the choice. And he said, well, self, look out there. Look how lush that land is. It looks like the Garden of Eden must have looked. I think I'll take all of that. And the simplest and fairest separation would have easily been Lot saying, well, you see how lush it is out there on the Jordan. I'll take everything on one side of the Jordan. You take all the lush on the other side of the Jordan and we will split that up and we will both prosper like crazy. That's not what Lot did. He said, I'll take all of that. That's a whole different thing, isn't it? He was a masterful person. He did a masterful job at looking out for number one. He probably could have written a book about it. And maybe he did write a book about it, but it got destroyed in fire and brimstone at some point, okay? And, and, and here's the deal. Lot had considered very carefully all the economic factors of his decision, but he had left out the spiritual dimensions. You see, he had even forgotten what God had said to Abram way back at the beginning. God said to Abram, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And you know, Lot, as he went on his way, he probably was patting himself on the back and saying, man, pulled one over on the old man. <laughs> you know, he's losing it. He's losing his grip. And, and, and he's got to be a little soft in the head to give me the choice. Of course, I'm going to take that. I'm sharp enough to take all of this and leave him with scraggly old Canaan. But he had forgotten God's promise to bless those who bless Abram. And he didn't bless him. In fact, he belittled him. And that is because scarcity requires a loser. Scarcity requires a loser. There's not enough to go around, you know. There's not enough for me to win. You have to lose. That's the scarcity mindset. That's not God's mindset. But a lot of us grew up with that kind of mindset. It was instilled in us. For me to win, you have to lose. A characteristic of those who have an abundance mentality, they don't have to compete. Wouldn't that be something if you didn't have to compete all the time? You know, I find it even in marriages. It's like husband and wives competing. Competing, competing. We're always competing to measure everything that happens or comes to us based on our self-interest. You know, those that have an abundance mindset are able to rejoice when their friends succeed like crazy. 
when those around them in the workplace succeed and get promotions, you can be as excited for them as if you got the promotion yourself. That's an abundance mentality. They don't live their lives unable to rejoice in someone else's fortune because they're too busy measuring it against their own or saying, God, why did you bless them instead of me? I believe Abram wanted Lot to make a choice that would bring him life. He was obviously committed to Lot. He cared for Lot. He said, we're brothers. And he said, I want you to choose. And even when Lot chose all the good stuff, Abram didn't complain. He didn't complain. He wanted Lot to choose what was best for him. And that selfless rejoicing in a, a, another's good fortune and not having to compete is a characteristic of those who have an abundance mentality. Do you know anybody like that? Because they're rare in the U.S. today. It's rare to find somebody with that kind of abundance mentality, delighted to see good come to others, whether or not it comes to themselves. Now, the, the scarcity mindset is a zero-sum game. For you to have authority, somebody else has to be diminished. For you to do good, somebody else has to do bad. There's just not enough. It's one little pie. We're all fighting for it, all right? What God says, I've got all kinds of pies. I'll just keep making pies, right? But we're going, no, there's one little pie. And, and, and we're gonna fight for it. And if our startup company is gonna beat and, and win, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna have to beat out all the other competitors and smash them down. If I'm gonna get to the top of the pyramid, it's because I stepped on everybody on the way up and made sure they didn't get a chance to do that. It always comes by competition. And it always ends. Someday, I hate to break it to you, you'll be replaced out there in the workforce. Someday, the next industry will overtake your industry. Someday, you'll get old. And the beauty that so bedazzled everybody is going to be gone. Someday, you'll get sick and your memory will start to fail and you'll fade. And the authority and value and worth that this world promises, it always ends in a gravestone. There's a deliberate contrast between verses 10 and 14 in this passage. In verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes. In verse 14, it says this. Abram is standing there. He's wondering what in the world, you know, is going on. Lot just chose all of the best. Even though he was for it, he had an abundance mindset. You'd kind of have to be a little bit like, wow, you know, okay. Take you a second, right? I mean, he's a human being. He's not like God or anything. He's just like you and me. So what would you do when Lot took all the good stuff, right? And he's probably going, huh, didn't really expect that. And Sarah's going like, his wife is going like, yeah, how did you just do, boy? You know? And, and so it says this, though. After Lot departed from him and went down to that lush Jordan Valley with all of his crew and left him up there in Canaan where the famine had been, it says God came to Abram and said, lift your eyes. See, Lot lifted his own eyes, looked out there, and tried to find what was best for him. The Bible says God lifted Abram's eyes. And he said, Look around to the east, west, north, south. All of this, way past out there where Lot is, 
You can see way on beyond. That's all yours. It's yours. I give it all to you. And then maybe Abram, his eyes fall down to the ground for a minute and he sees all the dust at his feet. And the Lord says, you see all that dust? I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth. That if anyone can number this dust, they could number your descendants. It's gonna be impossible. There's gonna be so many. I'm gonna make you the father of a great, powerful nation. Now here's the thing about Lot. Lot did not intend in the beginning to actually live in the cities of the valley. He knew they were wicked. At first he just kind of started off in that general direction. But here's the thing. Once our direction is set, our destiny, our destination is also determined. It's now only a matter of time. And what you see with Lot is he just kept edging closer and closer until finally we see him in the very center of Sodom as one of the officials of the city. Some decisions might not seem very significant, but they set a particular course for our life that's going to change our, our destiny. It's going to change the lives of our family, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And a lot of times I think one of the things you can see about a wrong choice is it's totally focused on material advantage. The scarcity mindset, the way of getting ahead is to look out for number one. The abundance mindset, the way that we live is we look up to God as number one and we look out to those around us and see how we can look out for them and watch out for them and be there for them. I want you to see a third thing. Choose time with God over time with culture. Time with God over time with culture. Lot's been criticized for moving to Sodom, but the thing is, it's not mentioned a lot, but Abram and Lot both lived in really corrupt cultures. You know, to compare the Canaanites with the Sodomites is kind of like comparing Stalin to Hitler. And, and, and so if the Sodomites were were, you know, a 10 on the evil scale. The Canaanites were a 9.5. What kept Abram untainted? How, how, how did he not become corrupted? Kind of like Lot did. The answer, I think, is found in verse 18. It says this, Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. We see two things that marked Abram's life. In fact, it's talked about in the New Testament. The tent and the altar. In the New Testament in Hebrews, it says this about Abram. He lived by faith as an immigrant in his own promised land as though it belonged to someone else. He journeyed through the land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations whose architect and builder is God. See, Lot traded in his tent for a townhouse. He settled in Sodom. He blended in. He was popular, but he wasn't prophetic. But Abram stayed in his tent. He said, this is not my home yet. I'm not home yet. Imagine if you got on an airplane and you sit down, you know, you're in economy plus, so you're excited. You didn't have, you got a little extra leg room, you know. But then the guy next to you, 
he, he reaches in his big old carry-on bag that you think is not going to fit up over there, you know. He pulls out kind of a big screen TV and somehow he sets it up and he sets it right there, you know, where... Uh, right on the back of that seat and he, he gets him a, like a chandelier and he hangs it from where the oxygen masks are supposed to be and, and he starts to, you, you know, he gets a tablecloth and puts some things out and he, 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 he gets this big, you know, comfortable pillow chair kind of thing that you're going like, how, you're going like, what is, this guy is amazing, what is happening here? And, and you say, what are you doing, buddy? And he goes, he goes well, I, I'm just making myself at home. I said, well, that's interesting. He goes, no, no, you don't understand, I'm gonna live here. I'm going to live here on this plane. This is my new home. This is where I live. What are you going to do if you're sitting next to him? You're going to go, security, right? Because that's just off. But that's what we do. God says, hey, this isn't home yet. You're not here. You're not home yet. I I mean, this is kind of like boot camp. I'm training you and I'm giving you some monopoly money. It's not yours, it's just Monopoly money. You can play the game with it. How do I know it's not yours? Because you don't get to take it with you. It all goes back in the box with you, right? And somebody else plays with your money afterwards, usually your kids, and they don't play with it quite like you did, right? You know? And each generation gets to see how they do with God's resources. Jesus said, who's gonna trust you with the real riches if you don't know what to do with the stuff here. I mean, if there was Monopoly back in that day, he would have said with the Monopoly money, right? And, and, and who's gonna trust you with, with what really matters? You see, we're, we're gonna rule and reign with God. That's what he made us for. And a lot of us are, are, are blowing it right now because we don't see that. And so we're kind of making ourselves at home. That's what Lot did. He got him a mansion in the middle of the city. Abram stayed in a tent because he said, I'm looking for a different home. I'm looking for that city whose architect and builder is God. And then not only the tent, but the altar, Abram, the worshiper. Lot didn't build an altar in Sodom anywhere. Abram always built altars so that he could spend time with God. And that's why the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look northward, southward, eastward, westward. I'm gonna give you all this. Abraham realized when you have God, you have everything. Did you know what the Bible says about us? It's just like Abram possessed it all by faith. Even though when he died, all he had was the grave that he was buried in. In 1 Corinthians, it says of us as believers, stop bragging about what anyone has done. Don't you know that everything is yours? including the world, life, death, the present, the future, everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Did you know you have that? Did you know that's what your inheritance is? I want you to see one last thing. Choose to give yourself to God's story and he will give himself to your story. Choose to give yourself to God's story and he will give himself to your story. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth for I give it to you. Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Most of us, we wanna seek first our things and We'll seek the kingdom of God later in our spare time if we have a little bit of time. 
The next time you, you face a, a major commitment of time or, or maybe moving to a different place, I want you to make the decision based on how it will affect your and your family's commitment to God's kingdom. I don't want financial factors to be the only thing that's the only factor. Then that would be like Lot. I want you to do like Abram. You know, maybe you'll have the chance to make more money. That's a good thing. But why do you want to make more money? So you can give more to God's kingdom. So you can give more to see God's kingdom come here now. Or is it just to buy more things? Because see, what I don't want you to do, I don't want you to make a choice just based on material things and lose your family or lose your kids. It's important that we make our decisions, bottom line, based on what we're going to do with God's kingdom. See, we, we tend to think of Christian commitment as a bold decision to forsake everything and follow Jesus. And it is. That's true. There is this once for all step across a line, right? But I, I want you to see things a little bit different today. First, you take that big step. I'm following hard after you. But see, Lot did that. Lot had already done that. He said, Abram, I want your God to be my God. That's the best I know. And I'm going to step out with you going to the promised land, not knowing what we're going to face. It doesn't matter. I'm going with God. But in all the little decisions after that, all he, he cared about, all Lot cared about was Lot. So Lot had said to Abram, I'm going with you. But then he made a lot of little poor decisions. And when you think about the Christian life, it's kind of like we have a thousand dollars and we want to bring it in, you know, in hundred dollar bills to God and say, here, God, and God gives it all back to us in quarters. And he says, I want you to keep making these little decisions. He's about my kingdom, about me, about what I'm doing. I want you to make it off of these four principles that, that we just talked about. I want you to just to keep on doing that little by little by little by little, and it will shape a destiny that will make an impact for you, your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. Relationships over rights, an abundance mindset, spending time with God, focusing on his kingdom. David, the psalmist said it this way, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. It, it just reminds me of Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. I always love the last couple of stanzas of that. Let me just read it to you. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted it if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. I want you to Think with me for just a minute. One of the things that you can do today, you have a chance to like put one of those quarters into the saying, God, I'm going after you. We're doing baptism right now. Many of you have never been baptized. Why are we baptized? It's because Jesus said, be baptized. I want you to be baptized. It says it 
he said it over and over. He was baptized. And there's something, there's nothing like that's magical about going under the water. But what's amazing is when you obey him, it begins to move toward a destiny. And God knows that. Now, is baptism hard? No. If God had asked you to do something hard, you would have already done it. You know, climb Mount Everest to show that you love me. You would have already tried, wouldn't you? But he said, I want you to dip under water. We go, well, I don't get it. I don't understand it. A lot of you were baptized as babies, and that's a really cool thing. That's the priest or the pastor and your parents saying, I give this child to God to raise them up following hard after God. But it wasn't your decision, was it? So now it comes full circle. And in the Bible, when you see people baptized, it was after they stepped into this journey with God. And some of you haven't done that yet. Let me just tell you how we baptize at Community of Faith, okay? We're multi-denominational. So you come from all different places. It doesn't matter. You never have to change your denominational label at Community of Faith. But I'm gonna go out in the pool in just a moment. I'm gonna get in myself. We'll have some other pastors there. And when you step down in the pool, I, I'm gonna change into some shorts. And we've got shorts and t-shirt and everything for you out in the lobby. When you go out, you're gonna see it. And you can just pick that up and go and change. When you get in the pool, I'm gonna say, let's just say your name is Mark. I'm gonna say, Mark, I'm so glad you're here. I'm proud of you. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, I take you under the water. And because I know you, I leave you there for a while. <laughs> Sing three hymns. No, we don't do that. I pull you back up, raised to walk in a brand new life and the water pours off you. It's a watershed moment, that's for sure, okay? Some of you are going like, well, I don't know if I wanna join community of faith. We're not talking about joining community of faith. We don't know if we want you either, right? <laughs> this is just getting baptized, okay? Just getting baptized, like Jesus said, it's a step that we take. And let me just tell you, for some of you here this morning, even though you've already got your, your shoulders kind of bowed up, I can see you, you know? It's okay, relax. But this is gonna be a watershed moment for you. It's gonna begin a move that begins to take you in a direction that changes the life of your great, great grandchildren. I believe that with all of my heart, okay? So there's about 30 or 40, I think, that planned on getting baptized, but there's about 100 of you or so that didn't plan on it that I think you're gonna be baptized, all right? And I want you to step into it. This is your chance to do that simple little thing that you do to obey Christ. And it begins to make a move. Can I just pray for you? Father, I just thank you that we here as family that we root for each other, that we encourage one another. God, some of us have never been baptized as adults. We've stepped into this journey, but we've never done that. Some of us have followed you for some years now, but we've never followed you in that step that you ask us to take. God, it doesn't always totally make sense to us, but I know it's a big symbol that says that you died for us and we've died to our old way of life and we're raised again. But mostly I know that you ask us to do it and I think sometimes you made it almost nonsensical so that we would say I'm gonna go your way 
instead of my way. I'm not gonna try to figure this out with every little bit of everything that I've got. I'm gonna go your way and I'm gonna watch you in action. I'm gonna see you move. God, I ask that you would give us courage to be baptized, those of us who need it. I ask God that in our decisions, in our everyday stuff, that we would make these little choices that change everything. Come kingdom of God upon us and our families and our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Be done, will of God, in us and through us. And let us leave that lasting legacy that we dream of as we have this abundance mentality. And we encourage everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen.